Good morning, South Crest. How are you this morning? Oh, y'all can do better than that. How are you this morning? Good, good. So uh, I am so glad that you're here today. You know, one of the things I said last hour is sometimes on days like this, people come in a little tired, a little like, oh man, I don't know if I want to get excited about anything today. And uh, all last week at Beach Week, I was watching God do amazing work in our students and and I just was celebrating, and the Lord reminded me what we don't celebrate in our life is destined to leave us. And so as a church, we don't ever need to stop celebrating life change. You know, we got to baptize at the first service today. Many people were baptized last week. Forty-six people stood in an ocean and publicly professed Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We don't ever need to take that for granted, ever take that for granted. So as a church, I hope you're ready for today. Today's going to be one of those energetic days. We're kicking off a new series. We're kicking off our entire summer series. Actually, we're going to be journeying all through the month of June and July with one kind of theme called at the lake. Okay. So I want to say this. I want you to shout as if you just heard me say, Hey kids, we're going to the lake. (laughs) So I remember growing up in Oklahoma, my parents would say that from time to time. They would just say, we never knew when it was going to be. We had about four or five lakes we went to growing up, Lake Gibson, Lake Tinkeller, Lake Call. You can name all these different lakes in Oklahoma. But my dad would walk in, and he would load up the baby blue station wagon with the paneling on the side. And because uh, we had one of those, you know, that we called it the exploder because if it got hit in the bat, it'd, it'd explode. And uh, we'd put it all in the car, and dad say, hey, we're going to the lake. And we didn't even care what lake we went to. We just knew if we were going to the lake, it was going to be awesome. It was going to be amazing. And so over the next eight, nine weeks, we're going to go to the lake over the next eight weeks. And let me say this. I want to welcome you if you're worshiping with us at LaGrange or online. And I said this last service, if you are at the lake right now on your boat watching us on your device online, I want you to take a picture and send it to me because I just think that'd be crazy. I won't pray for you. I'll pray that your boat runs out of gas. But... um but I will rejoice with you that you're watching us online today. So we're going to jump into this series. And here's what I know about being at the lake. The lake is a place where you make special memories. A lake is a place where you create episodic memories. I have episodic memories of waking up in a camper, walking outside and smelling the lake there in Oklahoma. The smell was just amazing. It's kind of the smell between dew, morning, and fish, Right? And you're kind of smelling those smells. I remember the lake going and the first time I ever learned how to water ski. Anybody here love to water ski? Any water skiers here today? Okay. So uh, I remember going to Lake Tinkeller, which is one of the biggest lakes in Oklahoma. And it was a deep lake and it was a big bass fishing lake. But that's where I learned how to water ski. And I went with one of my best friends, Steve, and his dad pulled us. He was a firefighter. He pulled us behind the boat and I drank half of Lake Tinkeller. Learning how to ski that one summer, I'll never forget. There's so many episodic memories when you go to the lake. The food that you eat when you go to the lake. Why does food taste better when you're at the lake on vacation? Anyone ever figured that out? I mean, Cheetos are Cheetos. But you take them to the lake and they just taste good. I don't know what it is about the water, about the sand, about the rocks, whatever it is. I remember we would go to cliffs and we would do cliff jumping at the lake. You know, you go jump off of cliffs. One of my friends, Chuck Cornwell, we were jumping off a cliff out outside of a lake in Arkansas and he blew his eardrum out jumping off of cliffs. It was so high. And I thought to myself, well, those are episodic memories in my mind. Why do times at the lake stick in our minds so deeply? And I know this sounds funny, but I want to tell you why. Episodic memory is some of the strongest memory that we have in our life. 
And I just kind of formed this opinion about 10 years ago about the lake because I have several friends who live on lakes and I've been to lakes growing up my whole life. Here's what I've learned about the lake. There is never a bad day at the lake. Can I get an amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Listen, you can be at the lake and it can be pouring down raining and it's so absolutely beautiful watching clouds come in and wind swirl. It's like raining, but we're at the lake, right? It could be hot and sunny, oh, but we're at the lake. It could be snowing. Have you ever been on a lake when it's snowing? It's absolutely beautiful. There's never a bad day at the lake. So over the next nine weeks, we're going to be talking about Jesus's favorite lake. You say, Jesus had a favorite lake? He sure did. We call it uh, a lake, but in, in Israel, it's called the Sea of Galilee. What Jesus did on the Sea of Galilee defined much of his earthly ministry. And it wasn't so much that it happened around a lake, it was why it was happening around a lake. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. And as you're turning over there, I want to give you a, a thought about why maybe Jesus loved the lake so much. As you're turning to Luke 5, in Matthew chapter 4, there was an actual prophecy given about the coming Messiah out of Isaiah 9 and about this region that he would go to and perform miraculous things. It's actually in Matthew, it's actually in Luke, or excuse me, Luke, Isaiah 9, 1, but it's found in Matthew 4, 12 through 17. So when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what had been said through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what prophet Isaiah said. He said, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. And look what it says, verse 17, Matthew 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 700 years after the prophet Isaiah gave that prophecy about the coming Messiah who would come and do miraculous things on this lake, Jesus comes onto the scene. Now, the Sea of Galilee, whether we want to call it a lake or not, it's the largest freshwater lake in Israel. If you don't know how big Israel is or how small it is, Israel is about the size of New Jersey. When you go to the country, you realize that it's really not that big of a country. It must be such a special place because God always protects Israel. And God always favors the country of Israel. They're his people. But in this lake itself, it's only about 13 miles long and about 7 miles wide. There are probably lakes in America or other parts of the world that are much larger than that. At its deepest point, it's only 150 feet deep, and it's about 650 feet above sea level. And the Jordan River passes into the lake, and then it pours out of the lake and goes down all the way to the Dead Sea. And so it's this amazing place, and when you go there, it just captures your imagination. Two-thirds of the lake is surrounded by the country of Israel, and one-third is surrounded by the Golan Heights of Syria. So as you stand from the city of Tiberias, you look across and you see the Golan Heights of Syria. It's an amazing place. In the New Testament, we read a lot about this lake. In fact, it's known by different names throughout the New Testament. The Lake of Gesetereth, Sea of Tiberias. In the Old Testament, Joshua called it the Sea of Chenereth. 
And the sea was known for a lot of different things. It was known as a fishing lake. Many of the fishermen of the time would go there and they would make a living catching fish. It was also a trade route. They used a lot of trade across the sea many times, getting things back and forth. It was a very, very special place. One of the most dynamic things about that lake is how that lake many times has sudden and violent storms. Because of where it's located, because of its geography, its depth, Because of the topography, winds will blow through the mountain ranges and literally storms will pop up at any moment on this lake. But here's why it was probably so special to Jesus. Jesus grew up 20 miles west of the lake. He grew up 20 miles west in a city called Nazareth. And I can probably imagine that growing up, there were times that his mom and dad or his family would say, you know what, we're just going to go to the lake. We're going to get up, we're going to go, we're going to spend a day or two on the lake. But yet, when Jesus turned 30, before his last three years of his public ministry, Jesus moved there. He moved to a town called Capernaum, and he started doing miraculous things. Towns like Capernaum, Tiberias, Gergesha, Bethsaida, all these different towns that surrounded the lake. Have you ever noticed that people live in lake towns are different? I mean, Really? Have you ever met someone who just grew up living in a lake town? They have a whole different pace of life. Imagine the people that Jesus would have encountered in all of these places. But it wasn't just special to Jesus. The people that followed Jesus, it was special to. Five of the 12 disciples were called around that lake. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen on that lake. They grew up making a living. Levi, who was a tax collector, we know he was Matthew, was a tax collector there in that region when Jesus called him to follow him. And then we know in Mark 3 that there was a point when Jesus went to a mountain just right off the lake, a mountainside, and he called his 12 disciples to follow him on this lake. Can you imagine all of the memories that Jesus had on that lake? I would think one of the most episodic memories happened after his death and resurrection because we see in John 21 that he told his disciples, when I'm resurrected, I want you to go to Galilee. And he met them on the shores, the north side of that lake. And that's when he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? When we were in Israel in in February, I remember standing in that place and thinking to myself, what would it have been like to stand on this sea and watch Jesus reinstate? Peter. Special places have special memories. And so today, when I talk to you about this thing called At the Lake, I want to talk to you. In fact, today's message is entitled Sessions from the Shoreline. Sessions from the Shoreline. There are things that Jesus did that happened right along the shoreline of this lake. Because sometimes it's not what happens out in the middle, sometimes it just happens right on the shoreline. Luke chapter 5. Starting with verse 1, let's read this story together today. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at water's edge two boats. Everyone say two boats. Everyone say two boats. 
all right? Not one boat, not six boats, two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, here's the way it would work. The fishermen would go out at night. They would do all of these things. They would fish all night, and then they would come back. And the way that they kept their nets working is they would have to pull them out of the water, and they would have to bring them up on shore and wash all of the fish guts out, wash all of the different things out of the nets. They would have to mend the nets. They would have to get the nets back ready to go back fishing during the nighttime hours. So they were doing what they had normally done. Verse 3, he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So there's two boats. There's a group of fishermen. They're washing their net. They're minding their own business. They're doing their job. Jesus has this huge crowd around him of people who want to hear what he has to say and what he has to teach. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks up to Simon Peter's boat and says, I want in your boat. I want in your boat. And he gets in Peter's boat and he begins to teach the masses of people. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think Jesus knew whose boat he was getting into? Raise your hand. (laughs) See, I don't believe in random Jesus. I don't think Jesus just showed up and said, well, any old boat will do. He shows up and he knows that there's this guy, this fisherman that he wants to call to himself in his name, Simon Peter, and Jesus gets in his boat. And that's the thing. If you have to take notes today, I want you to write this down. Jesus wants in your boat, AKA your life. Jesus wants in your boat. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened if Peter would have never let Jesus in his boat. Jesus would have never experienced what it felt, or Peter would have never experienced what it felt like to walk on water. If at that moment he wouldn't have said, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna let you in my boat. He would have never walked on water. He would have never experienced the miraculous deliverance from prison probably in the book of Acts. Why? Because maybe he would have never followed Jesus. But at the moment that Jesus was just saying, I need to move from the shoreline and I need to get to a place where these people can hear me, Jesus didn't do this randomly. He did it providentially. Peter, I need to get in your boat. I want to ask you a question today. Is Jesus in your boat? When did you let him in? Is Jesus in your life? When did you invite him to be there? Peter invites him into his boat. And sometimes I think Peter's like us sometimes. Peter could have left Jesus at water's edge. But instead, he invited him to get into the boat. You see, I kind of look at it this way. Religion is kind of like the people who stand on the shoreline. They kind of say, Jesus, you just stay at the shoreline. And every seven days, I'm going to drive by in my boat. And I'm just going to wave at you. And I'm going to have some drive by Jesus. I mean, I've been at this 29, 30 years now. I've seen a lot of drive-by Jesus moments. Let's drive by every seven days, check the box, go to church, go home. Hey, we did that. We're good, blah, 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 blah. And it never changes our life. And the truth is what's going to change our life is when we invite Jesus into our boat. Let me tell you, when Jesus gets in your boat, (laughs) you realize it's no longer about religion. You realize it's about knowing him. Some of you are out here going, oh, how do do I know if Jesus is in my boat? Well, let me tell you, it's real simple. If Jesus is in your boat, he's in your business. Right? 
If Jesus is in your boat, he's in your business. When Jesus got in my boat at the age of 17 and changed my life, I couldn't go back to school and be the same person. Suddenly I cared for my friends. I started praying for people. I started sharing my faith. Why? Because Jesus, when he's in your boat, he's gonna get in your business. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus in your business? Is he in your family? Your friendships? Your life? Or is he just a drive-by? Like Jesus, every seven days, I'm gonna drive by the shoreline and I'm just gonna wave at you because the truth is religion sometimes really just wants to keep God at a distance. But when Jesus is in your boat, he's always gonna be in your business. Look at verse four. When they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, I love this. So Jesus goes from talking to the whole crowd because Jesus knew what he was doing. He's getting in Peter's boat because he wanted to change his life. And suddenly, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, look, put out into deep water. Everyone say deep water. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. What was Jesus teaching us in this part of the session? Here's what he's teaching us. Jesus wants to take you into the deep. Jesus wants to take you into the deep, the deep place of faith, trust, belief, and here's Peter, he's been fishing all night, his, his nets are up here, and suddenly Jesus goes from just being in the boat to getting into his business, and he looks at him and says, hey, Peter, why don't you take this boat and go out into the deep end and start fishing again? You know what he was calling me to do? He was calling him to leave the familiar, and he was calling him to leave the natural. The familiar and the natural. It's time to to leave the shallow waters of safe, Peter. It's time to get out. It's time to move out into the deep waters and trust. And what Jesus was doing is he was asking him to do something that was completely uncommon and completely unfamiliar. In fact, I want to say this. I, I want to defend Peter here real quick. What Jesus asked him to do was completely unreasonable. Here's why. Everybody knew you don't fish in the middle of the day with nets. You fish at night. And you don't fish out in the deep part of the lake. If you're going to catch the fish, you got to go where they school. And they school up near the shoreline, kind of in the shallow end. And so imagine, Jesus walks up, gets in his boat, starts getting in his business. And he says, hey, I want you to go do the unreasonable thing, Peter. Because when you do, I want to show you who I am. I thought about this. I wrote this in my journal this week. If we want to experience the unbelievable Follow Jesus when it's not reasonable. It's not reasonable. Think about all the people. Oh, if you do that, it's not reasonable. Like if you really sell out to Jesus, it's not reasonable. If you really start serving in the church, it's gonna take up a lot of your time and that's just not reasonable. You need some you time, right? We start giving to the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, I wanna give to you. I wanna tithe. I wanna trust you. And all of a sudden you look at your pocketbook and your bank account says, this is unreasonable, Let me say this, if you only follow Jesus when it's reasonable, you'll miss the unbelievable. Jesus wants in your boat, but Jesus wants to take you into the deep. So two weeks ago, I was down in Florida, I I do my annual study trip, and then we go on to, to beach week with our students. And on the third night of the trip, I was down there and was really just praying like, Lord, you know, where do I need to study tonight? Like, because sometimes I'm just like, I need to just a a change of pace. And I really felt like the Lord wanted me to go to Starbucks, which I know is weird. Like when you're in Florida, like go to Starbucks, right? 
If you ever want to find a bunch of pastors, just go to Starbucks. If you need spiritual counseling, just go to Starbucks. You get a latte in Jesus right there because there's five or six guys there. But man, I walk into this Starbucks in Florida and the moment I walk in, the Lord tells, tells me, you're not here to study, you're here to minister. And I, I'm like looking around like, okay, who do I need? And there's a, there's a 23-year-old guy right here who just rode in on a motorcycle, really amazing motorcycle. And he's sitting right here. And the moment I walk in, I just felt the, the tender touch of God say, that's who you need to talk to. So I go get my coffee. I take my computer. I sit down across from the guy. And I just start talking to him. And he talks to me for a few minutes, tells me a little bit about his story and his life. And he goes, so what do you do? (laughs) And I was going to tell him I was a heart surgeon. But I said, I'm a pastor. And he starts welling up, almost crying. He said, man, that's amazing. I said, why is that amazing? He said, well, I'm a follower of Christ. And I left my job over in Panama City to go work at this church down in Florida. And now I'm back up here. And me and this other guy, we're planting a church here in Florida. And I've been praying because I don't have any direction for my life, asking God to bring somebody in my life to help me find some direction. Would you talk to me? I put my study books down. We started talking about Jesus and what God wanted us to do. And here's what I realized. If I would have done what was reasonable, I would have stayed where I was that night. But I did what God said was unreasonable. You go where I tell you to go and just say what I tell you to say. And you watch what I do. And for the next hour to an hour and a half, we talked about Jesus, church planting. They're going to plant a church. Their whole team came over to our beach week. We got to pray for them. And our church is actually probably going to help them plant their church. Guys, I can't explain that stuff. But here's the problem. When you stay in the shallow, you don't see God do deep things. It's safe. It's nice. It's convenient. It's settling. But when you step out into the deep, it's amazing what God will do. You see, spiritual depth is not measured by what we say, but by what we obey. Jesus looked at him and said, I want you to launch out into the deep. So let me ask you a question today. What's your deep end? What is it? Everybody's got a deep end. Some of you as parents, you're trying to raise your kids to love Jesus and and your deep end is how you're gonna parent your child. You know what? I want my kid to love Jesus more than they love everything else. So you may do things, you may have to parent your kids a little bit differently. Why? Because your deep end is I'm gonna go against the grain of this culture. Some of you, your deep end is serving. I mean, you're sitting here going, dear God, if you ever make me go to beach week and sleep with students in a room on the beach and lose sleep for five nights, I will kill myself. (laughs) But you know what? We swim in the shallow most of our spiritual life. And if you want to see God do the unbelievable, You got to get past what's reasonable. Reason won't take you where only faith will take you. Maybe it's giving. Maybe you're like, you know what? I've never gave or I've never tithed before. You just got to do it. You got to sail out into the deep end. I remember when I was 17 years old, I was sitting in a church service at the Council Road Baptist Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Been a believer about two months. Had a $20 bill in my pocket, which back then was like 100 bucks for me. 
And they had a special offering that night. It was Sunday night church. And I gave into that special offering. And when I did, I was like, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you because <laughs> I'm going for broke. I'm probably not going to eat the, the $1.99 menu at McDonald's this week. And I pulled it out. I put it in the plate. No lie. Trust of the Lord. The next morning, 8 o'clock a.m., I get a phone call from a friend that says, hey, there's this lady who's moving in, and she wants to pay me and you and another person $120 to come move in her stuff. (laughs) I'm no mathematician. That's six times what I gave. If you want to be reasonable, you may not experience the unbelievable. Look at verse 5. Look what happens. Simon Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Listen to what Simon called him. He called him master. It's one of the first encounters we know that Jesus had with Peter. How did he know who Jesus was? It's who Peter thought Jesus was. You see, here's what I know about what we call people. How you address someone reveals who you think they really are. See, if LeBron James came out here today, I wouldn't call him by LeBron. I would call him Mr. James. If the president came out here today, I wouldn't, hey, Donald. I'd say, hey, Mr. President. You see, what you call someone reveals who you think they really are in your life. So Peter, his first words are master. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we stop questioning what we call him. Uh, you're my buddy. No, you're Lord. See, Jesus wants you to take him at his word. Jesus said, hey, I want you to go do this. I want you to make it happen. And, 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 and Simon said, master, we've done this thing all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so. Has someone ever told you to do something and you did it just because of who told you to do it? Let me give you an example. If a billionaire came out here, and said, hey, I want to teach you guys seven principles for how to budget and be successful financially. How many of you guys would listen to that advice? Yeah. Versus some joker that came out and said, I had four overcharges this week. Let's talk about budgeting. No way. You'd be like, get that person off the stage, right? But when someone is who we think they are, we tend to have a way of listening to what they say. Jesus dealt with this with the woman at the well. John chapter four, Jesus looked at her and said, woman, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have given it to him. Jesus wants you to take him at his word. Now, this is kind of crazy. 2007, there's a guy who wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically. His name was A.C. Jacobs. He's an agnostic. He doesn't even believe in God, but here's what he said. To humor himself and all the people that he writes to, I'm going to take the Bible and try to live out the laws and practices of the Bible for one entire year. He dressed in a long cloth. (laughs) He wore sandals. He grew a long beard out. He took all the Levitical laws and tried to live out as many of them as he possibly could. And then he journaled and he wrote about them, sometimes satirically. But here's what he said and he discovered. And I watched his TED Talk today. It's kind of crazy. Some of the things that the Bible actually tells you to do will actually change your life, he said. 
He talked about being thankful, about being grateful, about all these different things. And I began to think in my mind, what if we just took Jesus at his word and started doing exactly what Jesus told us to do? What if what Jesus told us to do became a higher priority or a volume than what other people were telling us to do? Because we know the story. They had a decision to make. Jesus, am I going to take you at his word? So last week I had someone come up and ask me this question. They said, hey, hey, pastor, are, are you going to do that whole 30 diet? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, here's what it is. For 30 days, you eat all these whole foods. You get rid of all this other stuff. It's a great plan, by the way. Help cleanse your body, all this. It's good stuff. I'm not, I'm not knocking that, okay? It's good. Like, like, I think if you're on that plan, you should just get a big shirt that says kale because you're going to be eating lots of kale, Okay. Uh, I remember the first time Tracy and I, we were eating dinner and I said, what is this? And she says, this is quinoa. I said, I can't even spell that. Okay. I'm all about that. But I started thinking about this this week as I was studying for this message. What if just for 30 days, we just went whole Jesus? Scrap all your traditions, scrap all your religious beliefs, scrap all this. And we just opened up his Bible, opened up the word of God and started doing what Jesus told us to do right out of the scripture. Just go straight red letter. Just start at Matthew five. Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes. What if for 30 days we just lived whole Jesus? Here's what would happen. (laughs) we would begin to take God at his word and we would see miracles happen. Because look what happened, verse six. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I wonder if their buddies around them were going, dude, what happened? Here's what I know. When, when God starts to work miracles in our life, they have multiplying effects. They don't just show us that Jesus is who he says he is. It's always a setup to show other people who Jesus is. Look at verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled up their boats from the shore, left everything, and they followed him. You know, the the last thing I see in this story about the session that Jesus gave from the shoreline is this. Jesus wants to change your calling, not your personality. He looked at Peter and he said, Peter, I've got a new calling for you. Not a new personality. You're still going to be Peter. You love to fish. You're just going to fish for something different. You see, sometimes I think what hesitates us to let Jesus in our boat is we think that Jesus is going to make us as crazy as some other Christian we've seen that we don't like. (laughs) Let's be honest. Oh my gosh, man, if I let Jesus do everything in my life, I'll be just like her. And she's crazy. But with Peter, he looks at him and he says, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you're just going to fish for people. He's basically saying this, Peter, I know who you are and I know what you can become. And so I'm gonna speak to you your destiny. 
That's what I love about my life. Jesus didn't change who Sean was. He changed my calling. Jesus came so that Peter could be the best Peter that he could be. Jesus wants to change your calling, not your personality. Because here's what I know about Jesus. When you meet Jesus, it's kind of a before and after effect. Y'all seen people who like do these deals and they have a before picture and an after picture? Okay, here's how you know when you've let Jesus change your calling. You have a before picture and an after picture. This is what my life was like before Christ. This is now the direction of my life after Christ. Think about it, Peter. I bet Peter was a fisherman who cussed like a sailor. What do y'all bet? I bet Peter was, I bet he was rough. I mean, I bet he smelled like fish all the time. But think about it. Before Jesus, he was just this brash guy. And Jesus took his brash and made it bold. Because he stood on the steps of the temple in Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost happened and he stood up and preached and thousands of people met Jesus. A fisherman. A guy who could probably only talk about nets and lures. Why? Because Jesus got a hold of him. I mean, think about Zacchaeus. Wee little man comes out of a tree. What is he before Jesus? He's a thief. I'm going to rob you and take what you have. He meets Jesus. What happens? He becomes generous and says, I'm going to give back everything I stole plus a whole lot more because knowing Jesus made me a totally different person, but I'm still Zacchaeus. The woman at the well. Think about it. Before Jesus, she was just a woman who had multiple husbands and the one she's living with isn't even her husband. <laughs> but after meeting Jesus, she's known as the woman at the well who met Jesus. Not as the one who had five husbands. Listen, Jesus wants to change your calling because he sees your destiny. So I want to ask you a question today before we close. What is your before Jesus and after Jesus story like? What is it? You say, well, I don't know if I have one. Then the question is, have you truly met Jesus? You say, well, I was eight years old when I gave my life to Jesus. Yeah, what's your after story? Sometimes I think maybe we've made our decision to follow Christ a transaction instead of a transformation. And today Jesus wants in your boat, verse 11. So they pulled up their boats on shore and they left everything and they followed him. You know what a new calling brings? It brings a new commitment. It brings a new commitment. People say all the time, man, I want to commit my life to Christ. Then just follow him. Start following him. Quit following yourself. Quit asking Jesus to follow you. Because many times that's what we do. We just say, Jesus, would you follow me? Because I need you, so would you follow me? No, 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 follow him. Calling is what changes your commitment. Jesus called them to a whole new direction in their life. And the Bible says they left something behind so that they could go after something greater. Let's pray together today.